Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you today, Miss Laura? I am fantastic. How about you? Oh, you're just giddy because you're going to the UK Duke game. Woohoo! Go Wildcats! Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame I you. That does sound like fun. Uh, we started our college basketball talk even sooner than we normally do. Yeah, really. First, well, the season is upon, the seasons are upon us. I'm excited about IU, and you're excited about UK. Well, so I we should number be. one, right? Number now, one, and so. yeah, number yeah. That's because we haven't played Three. yet. I'm not expecting yeah. to stay number one. I think that's kind of a curse. But oh well, at least oh. we should have a good season. Be positive about your team. They're going to do great. <laughs> They're going to do well. I just hope I don't have to see any of those striped pants this year. Well, we won't be. Both those are classic. Those are vintage <laughs> IU pants. Yeah. Well, we won't be playing UK. There you go. Thank you, John Calipari. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough of the sports segment of our show. Okay. On to news, on to announcements. Chicago is sold out. Can you believe it? I don't think I told oh you Oh, my yet. gosh, again? It well, did. I hope people listen who I said I'm, really do it because it will sell out. I know. Somebody I counted. Listened. I did numbers this morning and thought, oh, I'm so glad I counted this before I left for ASHA. You know, I always have those panics that will exceed the room number, and hotel salespeople are not as accommodating about that as you would want them to be. When they say, it's, you know, how many ever seats they have, they do not like you going over that. So we are sold out. If you missed it, I'm so, so sorry. And I don't know when we'll be back in Chicago, another 18 months or two years, or uh, hopefully our conferences will be out on DVD by then. So anyway, that's one thing. Chicago is sold out, and I have been happy about that all day. The other thing, I don't know if I've told you about this yet either, Kate. It seems like when we've had phone calls lately, it's just been about our personal lives, which nobody wants to sharing that on here. And I haven't told you about all this other stuff. Did I tell you that we are getting, uh, that Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers is going to be on Amazon as soon as they get it accepted and uh, inventoried or whatever? Have I told you that? I think you did mention that at some point. Yep, that's familiar. Okay. I mentioned that, and then it's also going to be on Kindle, and I don't think that I told you that because that is a late-breaking. I know. I'm still working on some of the conversion things that I have to do. You have to change some formatting, and you know how much I love all those administrative tasks. So I'm still working on that. will be into that because, you know, we're not exactly the top of the heap when it comes to technology, (laughs) but... All those people who are downloading, putting on their phones and their iPads, iPods and all that, they'll think that's very cool. That is cool, though. I know. I'm really excited about that. And hopefully that will get done within the week. So I hope that that is ready to go. But I wanted to announce it because I don't think that I had mentioned it before. We've planned it for a while. And, you know, I've got a long, long, long list of goals and things to do. But those have moved to the top, and I'm excited that those things are coming true. And then on that note, uh, therapy tip of the week, I think we've alluded to this, but we're taking a whole new spin on that. And I haven't posted a therapy tip of the week in a, in a long time because we're revamping that and making that even more educational because I'm going to be doing, when I do those therapy clips, I'm really going to be thinking about how you specifically teach the things that I talk about and step-by-step goals, and so it will be a little more formal, a little more structured, but there will be a written guide to go with that, and we're rolling that new feature out, hopefully, by the end of 2012, and it's going to be on a brand new website. Johnny, I don't think I should talk about the name yet. Okay. He's saying, don't talk to me. Uh, we'll, but we'll talk more about the name of the website and how all that kind of has come to be, but that'll be uh, a new announcement coming up, but I wanted to talk about it because several people have said, what happened to Therapy Tip of the Week? And I think you asked about that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And so we're just 
saving it for a new and improved. So that is, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, work hard on that. We'll be talking about that more in the next couple of weeks. But it is a brand new website, brand new concept. And therapists will also have an opportunity to contribute and put their own spins on there and their own activities. So that's kind of a fun thing, too. But I'm sure we'll do a whole show devoted to that when we get all that ready to announce and up and running, but I did want to mention it today. Sounds good. All right. Do you have any announcements before we get rolling with today's topic? No, I don't think I do. Okay. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about something that I love, 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 love to work on with kids, and that's helping a child understand and then begin to state an object's function. And again, this kind of, like every other skill that we talk about, the receptive portion of that or understanding this kind of concept comes before a child would be able to talk about it or state an object's function. And understanding how objects are used and being able to identify them when asked a question like, which one do you wear on your feet or which one's for cutting your hair? Those kinds, a child should be able to respond to those kinds of questions by 30 months. And like everything that we say, If your child is typically developing, they're going to do it much sooner than that. And if your child is delayed, boy, this is one that can take some focus and some teaching for, but it's absolutely vital that a child begins to understand this concept and then can begin to talk about things in this way because this kind of questioning and understanding it and being able to respond forms the basis for every academic and every kind of language test that a child will have from here on out, being able to understand what somebody needs, being able to respond to it non-verbally, and then being able to verbally um, spit it back out, for lack of a better word, as a child advances. I mean, this really is kind of the beginning of when a parent can think, boy, I'm really teaching him, or I'm really being that he or she understands something that I may not have known or um, noticed or given him credit for before. So I love working on objects by function. And, again, a lot of times our kids who aren't answering questions like uh, that are higher level with inferences like um They don't understand things like we can't go to the park, you know, when it's raining or, um, you know, the store is closed or all those kind of higher-level abstract things. When When you tease all of that out, it really goes all the way back to this point. It's where we should start working with a child and making sure that they understand realistically and concretely what their objects in their everyday lives are used for, and they're able to talk about those things and respond to questions about those things and, again, really begin to show you that language means something and they're able to use words to help them learn and make progress and, again, do better on all those kinds of preschool things that we want them to eventually um, respond to. So I love talking about this. I love teaching it. And so I'm excited that we get to do it today. And I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the show before. I don't think we have, at least not for a long, long time. Yeah, and we might have done it just kind of in the, you know, in as a kind of a byproduct of talking about something else or teaching something else. We might have done it with following directions. But again, I'm, I love teaching this kind of. Uh, skill to kids, and I do think it's really, really overlooked in speech therapy. Sometimes we're so focused on that expressive task that we might start to ask some questions um, or even think an older or a higher-functioning two-year-old should be able to say, you know, what do we use this for if we're talking about a pen or a cup without really thinking that we should back up and look at and make sure that the child can answer the question um, receptively or understand it from a receptive language 
perspective long, 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 long before we uh, had that realistic expectation that they could do it verbally. So let's talk about how we work on this stuff. And usually most parents just blend this kind of teaching into their daily routines. And when you're putting on a child's shoes, you say, here are your shoes. You wear these on your feet. You may expand that a little bit and say, you know, that will keep your feet from getting cold or, you know, whatever time of year it is. You know, from getting hot or I used to tell my children who love to go barefooted that they would, you know, the rocks would hurt if they didn't wear their shoes. So, again, it doesn't really matter um, what you say as long as you're giving a reasonable explanation that explains what that object is used for. And again, if we teased this skill back to its origins, really it's understanding lots of different action words or verbs or prepositions or descriptive words and kind of putting all of them together so that a child is able to make sense of an explanation when you're telling them something like, you know, the cup is for drinking your milk or the knife is for cutting your chicken. And so, again, a child has to be moving along with language before these things are really begin to take shape and before they are realistic goals. But the, the biggest thing we can do when we're working on this with a child is really help his parents begin to explain things and narrate and include these descriptions as a part of their everyday conversations. And sometimes we just mistakenly think parents do that, but a lot of parents don't know to do that. Have you seen that before with your work, Kate? Yes, and like you alluded to, I really introduce these concepts long before I expect the kid to really, well, yeah. it depends on the child, but you know, a lot of times I introduce them when I'm really targeting a single word, hat or shoe, right. or but I'm going to give the background hoping, well, maybe some of this will kind of sink in if he hears it enough times, <laughs> yeah. you know, because this is where we see a lot of our kids, our language-delayed kids really kind of fall down. They go from, yeah, mm-hmm. they can label lots of things, and when you really start getting into how much language do they really understand, and do they understand this basic language we assume they do. And I think parents oftentimes assume that kids know these things automatically, and language-related kids frequently don't. Sometimes they do, but they frequently don't. Yeah. Well, and especially if you have a child who's not, who didn't start to follow directions when you thought that he or she would be able to, or they, again, have had some other indications of receptive language issues, with those children you know that you're going to have to go above and beyond with helping them understand these kinds of concepts. And, again, boy, it takes a lot of repetition. And we do hope that with that repetition, like you said, Kate, it will sink in, and over time those words will begin to make sense. And so for a lot of our little guys with with language delays, they may get hat, but they don't really get you wear it on your head. You know, you put it on before we go outside, or it's raining, you need a hat so your hair doesn't get wet. You know, they've gotten that initial concept. They link the word hat with the object, but they still may not be making that association with the rest of those words. So the very first thing that we have to do as therapists is explain to parents how to do this, why we do it, and how this skill really will is the foundation for so many other higher level language skills that they'll they'll use from here on out. So um, assigning this as homework is important. It's also important though that you are modeling this in therapy and doing it so that parents can hear what you would say. So if you're playing with the baby doll, you every object that you get out, you're not only saying spoon, there's Let's feed the baby. We feed baby with the spoon. Baby eats with the spoon. There's her spoon. You've got to bump up that language a little bit so that they're getting that explanation and are, again, hearing it and so that they're talking about it, not just a time or two, so that they hear it day after day, week after week, so that they really start to understand what you mean. And, you know, if you're doing that with the spoon with the baby doll and, you know, you might talk about 
next the baby's socks. You know, put socks on the baby's feet so her feet don't get cold. Ooh, her feet are cold. She needs some socks. Let's find baby's socks. Oh, her socks go on her feet. You know, again, you've got to really be repetitive and be simple and over and over, and you've got to do that for every object <laughs> that you're playing with. And, again, it does feel a little tedious with some kids, but they're not going to get it unless you do that kind of structured, focused teaching with um, pretty much every object <laughs> that you would use in a therapy session or in a child's daily routine. So, again, you, you want to really, really be sure that mom and dad hear you do that and that they see you do that during therapy sessions, and that, that you give them some really specific, concrete examples of how they can do it. And so part of your therapy session might be saying, okay, let's talk about at meals what you could say about the cup and the spoon and the plate. Let's talk about at bath time. I want you talking about the towels for drying off and the the washcloth is for washing and scrubbing, and the soap makes you clean. And so, you know, you walk through three, four, five items, how many ever things you think the child could realistically start to make some pretty good associations with, and you give them specific scripts. Because, again, just telling a parent, today we're going to work on object functions, and I want you to carry this over to your, uh, to your own daily routine. Most of the time, parents are not going to know how to do that. You're going to need to make that very, very, very clear for them so that they'll know what to say and, and know how to carry that over. The good thing is a lot of parents do already instinctively kind of do this. We just have to make them more aware of it so that they're doing it purposefully and as often as our children with language delays really, really need to uh, make that um, stick, make it sink in, whatever word you want to use there. I do want to mention, too, that a lot of therapists will automatically think, I'm, I want to be really efficient with this goal, so I'm going to use pictures to teach this. Ugh. You've got to really teach object functions with real objects first, especially with toddlers. And a lot of times I will say that, that again, we'll test the child with pictures. And, and these kinds of questions are, oh, just, so, you know, they just dominate language testing from a, ch a child who's, you know, two and a half and beyond. So it's, and again, all those tests are with pictures. And so then we automatically think that we should be using that as our therapy material. But for so many of our little guys in early intervention, pictures are not going to be uh, the material we should use yet. You should use real objects and, and work this kind of topic in this the skill into things that the kid already likes and that you've already done for a long, long time, you're just going to be pretty purposeful about it. And, again, you're going to talk about it for session after session after session. And like you said, Kate, you've hopefully done it for months, even if you've been working on single words. And when you start to really see that a child understands that, you'll want to bump it up and make it a real receptive language activity so that you, when you're playing, let's go back to our example with dolls. When you're playing with dolls, you would say something like, this one goes on her head. And so you would hopefully have the child then looking around to find the hat. Or which one will you, um, she's dirty, which one will you use to wash her? And the child will find the wipe. Or again, she's cold. Ooh, what can we find? She's cold. What does baby need? and the child would find a blanket. So that's how you know, and that's how you test it, that you have to really teach it, again, for days and days and days if you're a parent or weeks and weeks and weeks if you're a therapist before a child can realistically expect it to respond to that. I'm talking in here, guys. Kate, go ahead, interrupt me. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say that's one of the reasons I really like to play with um, whether either baby dolls or even better, I think, although I love baby dolls, just depends on the kid, but right. is uh, I'm hugely into the loving family stuff or even the Dora yeah. stuff where, where they have yeah. characters and they have the chairs and they have the tables and they have swings and slides and 
they have so many everyday objects that kids identify with, and right. you can actually show them that Dora sits down <laughs> in the chair and Dora puts the hat on her head. And, you know, and we've said this many times before in the past, but if you have a kid or a, a child you're working with who happens to be into mm, maybe Thomas the Train, for example, big deal. Put Thomas the chair, the train in the chair. Put Tom, Thomas the Train the train to go to sleep in the bed, you know, I think sometimes exactly. parents parents in particular and sometimes even therapists think, well, Thomas doesn't eat. Well, yes, he does. You know, he can go to the place. <laughs> he can read a book. He can go for a walk. He can, he can do all the same stuff, and you just go with what they automatically or naturally love, and you're going to get much more interest on their part, and that's what you want. But that goes is so much more meaningful for most of our kids as opposed to, look, there's a book, there's a picture. You know, if you're right. modeling and showing what it is that those things actually do, I think it tends to be much more meaningful for most young children. So start with the object and show it, show it, show it, show it again. Talk about it, talk we... about it, talk about <laughs> it, yeah. 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 So. And you have to put the language with it. It's not really enough just to put the hat on the baby's head and think, okay, well, she knows that. She knows that. We can move on. You you really have to give words, and you really have to have a simplified explanation to go with that, particularly for a child who's struggled with language and understanding language from the get-go because otherwise they may know the visual, um, that visual action of putting the hat on the baby doll's head or Elmo's head or, you know, whatever your character is. But unless you're saying the hat goes on her head, she may never really link that meaning. And, again, that's what you were alluding to before, that a lot of parents just naturally assume that, oh, she already knows that. Just because you've seen them do the action doesn't mean that they necessarily understand the words or would be able to respond to that in a question. So it's up to us to really help make that language part meaningful and so that they are transitioning from that action that they're doing that they understand the the words again so that the the words have meaning and that they eventually are able to respond to um, that kind of question and it is different from just saying oh well she understands what a spoon is for because she can feed the baby that's the first part of it you know if you have a child who's not using an object functionally well that's where you should be working (laughs) You know, and you're doing that, you're providing the language while you're doing it, but you can't make the assumption that they necessarily would understand this kind of question unless you are really giving them the words that go with it. So we've already talked about how to do it kind of with baby dolls and things. And I love the Love and Family sets. I use those toys. You turned me on to those toys a long time ago, and I... I love that for teaching this, but you can really use any kind of toy, anything that you're talking about or playing with, you should be talking about the function with it. So if you're playing bubbles, you're saying, oh, we blow the bubbles, here's the stick. The stick dips in the bubbles. We blow the bubbles on the stick or from the stick or whatever word you want to use. So you're really talking about this with everything. You know, oh, it's a balloon. We blow the balloon up. We throw the balloon. We catch the balloon. And, again, you know, just listening to me narrate that kind of thing, you know, we you've been doing this already if you were working on understanding action words and helping a child use more verbs. But this is that next step beyond it where they're really able to assimilate all of that great language that they've learned and really begin. And I like to think about it. They start to use words to think. It's not just about that visual representation or what they're doing. They Words, again, are, are how they're learning now. Does that make sense? Is there a better way to explain that? Do you know what I'm trying to say? I think I do, but I'm not sure if I know how to articulate it any more clearly. <laughs> They're thinking in words. <laughs> Clear as mud today. Yeah. Yeah. But it is the point where you, when you start to think. And, like, this, this is how I like to think about it, too. 
Do you remember those Brain Quest cards, Kate? Did your girls like those? Yes. They may have been a yeah. Little, yeah. No, and those they were are, Yeah. Those are cards, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they are cards that are great to use. I mean, I used them with the boys. They didn't have them for two-year-olds, but now they actually have a card set that starts at two. Mm-hmm. And I bought some of those. Yeah, I bought some for a, a couple of my little local guys that are really with it that we are just working on. Um, one of my little guys that I'm going to use them with is just an Arctic kid. So I haven't really used them with him, but I mostly bought them for my sweet little girl that I'm working with. It's, um loves printed material, loves visual stuff, but it's pretty echolalic. But she's, her mom has needed some, and they've just had a new baby, so her mom has needed some quieter kind of play things to do where she doesn't have to be up and moving and retrieving things and doing things. And so I got them with the intention of, of looking at them to see how this family could use a lot of that and so that mom would then know how to really use her books in a better way. Because I think those those cards really can teach a parent how to ask questions about the pictures don't naturally know that. Do you remember that about the cards, Kate, that they were pretty good with? Um, you know, my kids must have had them when they were older. I mean, they were in grade school. They were second, third grade kind of thing, and I don't really, and that was a long time ago. I do yeah. remember having them, but I don't yeah. really remember the nature of them that well. Well, they have been around a long time, but they've they've evolved. And so mm-hmm. now the ones that are for two and three and four year olds are really good with when a kid is far enough along and if a kid likes this kind of information, I've liked them because it's a way to help a parent know what kinds of questions they could ask as they are reading the book. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there might be a picture of, you know, the bear in his bedroom getting out of bed. And it does say this sort of thing, like, um, you know, Barney the bear is want, is getting ready. He he can't find anything for his feet. What should he wear? And so it's all of these kinds of questions. But for so many of our little guys, they're just lost with so much language there that if you haven't backed up and tried to do this with real ob- objects in real play, you know, that kind of activity is going to be non-meaningful. And parent might look at that and say, um, you know, he he doesn't like these cards. He's not interested in this rather than he's not ready for this yet. So, again, I like those. I'm not using those with a ton of kids, and it would be highly inappropriate for most of the children that I've seen in the last year but for a couple of those kids, I think it's going to be a really nice tool because, again, the main part of it, it really helps educate parents with the kinds of questions that they should be asking and talking about. And then a parent can learn that and then transition that over to use that sort of thing in play with real toys or use them with their own books, a book that a kid really likes. A lot of times you'll talk to a parent about this, but they still don't really know exactly what you want them to do or how you want them to use um, or ask the questions. So the cards will really help parents um, make that connection. But, again, let me let me give a big caution. That's not the only material you should be using. <laughs> you should be doing it with lots and lots of toys first. And I kind of skipped ahead. Let's go back and talk about some other examples. If you're playing with potato heads, you know, there are potato head parts. You could do the same kinds of questions or stating the same kinds of functions with the hat, with the shoes, but you could also do it with those body parts. And, again, this is a little abstract for a lot of our guys when they start, but on the POS 4 and 5, there are questions related to what do we use to see, you know, which one is used for hearing. So we do want kids to begin to link those uh, functions even with body parts. And for some of our kids, boy, that's a stretch. They won't be doing that for a long, long time, but we should start to think about that and teach that. And my point is, any kind of toy you're playing with, you need to work this object function 
part in your routine so that you can uh, be sure you are teaching that. Laura, with those, I assume you do this. I do. When I'm doing potato heads, I'm not a huge potato head fan, but I, I certainly have a lot of it. And I am. I always kind of, I know, I think you use them a little more than I do. I use uh-huh, them some, but I go through phases. Um, I always kind of take the, the piece, the eyes, and put them up to my eyes, and I say, totally. I see you. I see <laughs> you, my eyes. I see you, or I hear you. Can you hear me? And I'll put it next to their ear and in their ear. So I'm, again, not just saying you hear with your ears. Look, listen, <laughs> you can hear with your ears. I want them to see it. I want them to experience it. So acting you know, it out. Yeah. Right. And I have kind of a funny related story, which, um, Go shall I tell it quickly? Yes. Okay. Well, this was a while ago. It was a little guy I worked with who had pretty significant uh, receptive language issues. Probably he was on the spectrum, although he never got a diagnosis while he was in first step. Cute old guy. And he saw a speech therapist and he saw me. And the, the speech therapist he saw did tend to be a little bit more of a picture kind of kind of therapist, did a lot of flashcards and books and, you know, whatever kind of pictures. And right. I was more of a do it, show it, get him to right. experience it time. Well, right. near the end of our time with him, the speech therapist was testing him. And as you say, she, you know, in, in a testing situation, typically that does mean, um, particularly three and beyond, they're going to use those pictures, uh, you know, right. in a book, but it's really a picture. So, and she was doing just that, and she asked him, um, what do you do with this? There was a glass of water. What do you do with the water? And his response was, spit. And they, <laughs> and when the mom, so the reason the mom even thought to tell me is because, you know, a couple of weeks later, we were playing with the baby doll, and we had brushed her teeth, and then I'd given her some water, and I was saying, spit, spit. <laughs> <laughs> because I always am spit after I brush their teeth. And the mom started cracking up, and she said, that's where he got that? And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, when the other therapist asked him what he did with the water, his response was spit, and he was very proud of it. And I, I find that a lot of little boys think that spitting is pretty funny. So, anyway, that was my little story about That was a cute story. Now, I bet that she not give him credit for that on the test. And I don't know that I would have either without the I don't know story. if you got credit or not. <laughs> That's I hysterical. One of those kids who thought that was hilarious and that stuck with him. And I don't think he did particularly well on the test, but that was one where he, like, lit up. Spit! <laughs> <laughs> like, I know this one. I got this one. <laughs> But you know that does speak to how it needs, how this kind of teaching needs to be fun, and right. it needs to be part of the routine and still really, really play based, rather right. than pictures. Or a kid mm-hmm. won't learn it. It won't be meaningful enough. It won't be hook them enough to get right. their interest, so that they're really linking. And that that is that's darling. That's a darling story. I thought it was pretty funny, and it just this topic reminded me of that. And I thought, yeah, she probably would have liked drink better than spit. But and I'm not saying I didn't do drink, but this is just a kid that if it wasn't really pretty over the top, yeah, he, yeah, he, were, he was done. And spitting was something he, he thought was cool. And I just decided, okay, this when this baby brushes her teeth, she is definitely gonna be spitting. So, yeah, then when the funny. mom heard me do it, she started laughing. I'm like, what? Well, we wondered where he got spit. <laughs> mom wasn't really paying attention during those sessions, and she didn't remember I, that right away either. I, she didn't know until I did it a couple of weeks later, and I thought, oh, oops, I guess I taught him that. <laughs> That's pretty cute. But that 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 is a great example of how how we do need to make it really exciting, and so that if you feel like a kid is pretty checked out when you're doing this kind of stuff, you don't just continue to mindlessly narrate. 
you pick something else that would be fun and captivating for that you bring the kid back. Because you could get, I mean, I can see where a lot of moms and or therapists who aren't as consciously fun might think, all I'm going to do this whole hour is sit here and just talk about these object functions without really doing much of anything else. And so you still have to engage a child. You still have to have them participating and doing as you are talking about what they're doing and showing them the object. They still have to be active little um, participants with you so that it doesn't just become that whole and if you are going to use pictures, if you think, okay, this child is maybe ready for pictures, I would advocate, well, get your Dora character or your Diego or your mm-hmm. whatever, Thomas the Train. He can still drink the water in the book. He can still sit right. on the chair in the book. He can still, right. you know, pretend to put the hat on. It's not as concrete, but it certainly is. And I do that. That's one of the way, few ways I use books is to try and make them much more interactive and engaging by mm-hmm. doing the actual thing with the picture in the book. Because, again, right. it's more fun. Exactly. It's more fun for me, too. It is for me, you know. too. I mean, huh? yeah. Anyway. I do something, yeah. You know, <laughs> and another way that I use this or teach this, especially if I'm really starting to kind of know want to know what's stuck and what a kid really knows is to do this with your puzzles. And it does make a puzzle a little bit more exciting, too. So that if you were doing a transportation puzzle and you're saying, you know, which one flies and, you know, which one goes on tracks, which one goes in the water, so that you're really asking those questions. And, again, for a kid who doesn't seem to know what you're talking about, you'll want to just take the puzzle piece and make it, do that action so that you would fly the puzzle piece that's the airplane and so that if there's even just a smidgen of water, you know, a picture of water on the uh, beside the boat on the puzzle, you're saying, see, in the water, look, go, 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 in the water, splash, 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 in the water, so that you're really talking about it. Or look, the tracks, see the tracks, chugga, 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 you know, for the train. And so, again, you're making it exciting, you're making it fun, You're involving the kid in what you're doing, but you're still working on those object functions. Okay, a skill that I think is loosely related to this that's on your test, Kate, that's on the help that you use and on a lot of other general uh, five-area assessments would be matching the animal sound to the animal. Now, a lot of kids that you'll say, you know, what's the duck say, quack, what's the cow say, moo, they can do it that way. But if you turn it around and if you say which one says moo or which one says quack, they are completely lost. Even if you have just answered or they have just answered you with, um, you know, what an animal says. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but if you turn it around, you know, show me which one says meow, meow, they may be totally lost. So we want to be sure that we are using our animals in that way too so that we're helping them understand both parts of that question or you know, both ways that they may be asked that and so that they really know. That's, that's kind of a, a telltale sign for me too when a kid is having difficulty processing if they can only learn something in one Way because a typically developing kid, I think, would have no problem at all, you know, once they learned that the dog says woof, woof, and then you said which one says, Who says woof, woof. woof. Dog, yeah. yeah. Or at least uh, point to the picture, which, you know, then you're looking right. at is it an expressive issue? Can they just not say dog? Sometimes that right. is the case. So you give them right. an option. You have the puzzles with the animals, and you say, Quack, quack. Who says quack, quack? And at least have them show you. And if they show you, at least you know. Yeah, she knows. Exactly. And so that's another way to kind of bump up what you're doing with the puzzle. And I think, too, that a lot of times we just look at puzzles expressively. with, And that's great, where we're labeling 
the name of the the puzzle piece, but we can bump it up a little bit and and look, you know, teach more receptive language with it as well when we add those, you know, for animals, those additional, you know, asking it in that way, which one says, or, you know, which one flies, or which one swims, so that we've given it a different, you know, we've bumped it up a little bit, we've made it just a little bit harder. And I think, again, especially our kids with receptive language delays, and until we help them generalize, until we help them expand those kinds of skills, they, they often don't do it. They're often really, really stuck and really, really limited. And so we have to constantly think of ways that we can help bump them up that next little bit, that next little notch. And targeting object functions is a nice way to begin this sort of uh, focus with the child that you've not really paid too much attention to his receptive language. And a lot of times, too, our kids that we've just worked on with expressive goals, we a lot of times we'll get them to a point and then it's like they hit a wall, they plateau, and we wonder what the heck's going on. And usually it's because receptively they haven't moved on as much as they need. Um, they're not making as much progress or continuing to move ahead as much as we would like them to. And if so, if we'll stop and focus on this receptive language piece a little harder, then their expressive language seems to take a little jump too because we're we're working on the right stuff. We're working on really what the the underlying problem is. So I think it's so fun to work on object functions. And, I again, we need to be talking about it long, long, long before we expect children to respond to it. And like you just said, Kate, they have to respond receptively, meaning show you what you're, the question you're asking so that if you're playing with Elmo and you're playing with a playground set with an Elmo character and you say, Elmo wants to swing, which one is for swinging? So that he or she is taking Elmo and putting Elmo on the swing. Or you're saying, he wants to slide. Show me the one for sliding. And again, a lot of times we're doing this already and not really realizing that we're targeting um, this kind of skill, but this is exactly what a lot of our little guys need to be able to make progress and move forward. And so we want to be a little more intentional and a little more purposeful when we're planning our therapy activities so that we are um, making sure that we cover all of our bases. What are some other toys that we might use to play like this, Kate? Can you think of anything else that we haven't talked about? We've already talked about even with balls and bubbles and, you know, cars. We would say, oh, the car's going to go. Let's drive the car. The car's for driving. And, you know, if you're playing with Diego in the truck, Diego will ride in the truck. Diego's going to drive the truck so that we're using those um Stating those functions, working on those actions, you know, linking that together. We're doing that with every single toy that we play. Is there any other activity that we've not mentioned that might be a good material to use for that before we move on? Can you think of anything? Those are probably my mainstays. I do do the body functions with Mr. Potato Head. Sometimes I'll do body functions with the baby. Um, Me too, yeah. It's a nice extension, yeah. Right. Um, any kind of favorite character is is fair game. Those are my main ones. I will say this. I do this sometimes, which we haven't, I don't think, clearly stated, but maybe people just assume it. When, I'm, when I've set the groundwork for it and I've said these and said these and said these and I'm thinking, okay, and maybe I've tried just saying, you know, um, Baby's head is cold. What should baby put on her head? And I'm not getting a response. What I'll do is take the hat and I'll take a shoe or I'll take the hat and I'll take a spoon. And I kind of isolate those and give those two as a choice. That's a great point. Because sometimes, you know, you and I, anyway, have tons of stuff to go. We (laughs) love the accessories and most kids (laughs) love the accessories. So we might have a bag of stuff or we might have a pile of stuff out already because we've been playing with them, blah, blah, blah. And it's just too overwhelming for some kids and they, you know, they can't discriminate between all this stuff. And, you know, at least it's a way to get, and in the beginning I'm going to do the most obvious thing, Mm -hmm. obvious thing, and then 
the least or the goofiest or the most the ridiculous. Or, yeah. Yes. You yeah. know, so like, okay, let's say um, we've got the hat and we've got a banana. A banana or a cookie. Which one? Which one does she want on her head? She's cold. Baby's cold. Get the one that goes on her head. Yeah, and if they snatch the cookie, I put it on, and I say, no, that doesn't go on her head. She needs a hat. And try and get them to get the hat. But a lot of times I find when kids are struggling a little bit, not completely, but, you know, they're struggling some on receptive, if you do limit the choices, you're going to that's get more on tar- on target responses, and that's good for yeah. them to feel like I got it, you know. <laughs> exactly. And then as they get more confidence and better able to do those more easily, okay, give them a choice of three or four or five or six or the whole exactly. bag of junk. But in the beginning, you're going to get a bigger response, a more appropriate response, and I think engage them more fully if it's not so many things to choose from. And I do that a lot with anything I'm playing with, particularly when I'm going through that receptive stuff. Does he know which one goes in the water? Well, I might give him the boat and the choo-choo, not all nine pieces. You know, now for some kids, if they're there, great. But if they're not, start with just a choice of two, make them as dissimilar as possible. Most kids do tend to know Planes fly, so, you know, if you're going for the one that flies, go for the least obvious or the least correct or the furthest from the right answer and give them that as the alternative choice. Exactly. I think that's an excellent point. And that whole limiting the set, boy, I have to do that a lot. I'll watch therapy footage or even old video clips kind of culling through sometimes thinking, oh, is that ever usable? Are we ever going to use that? Johnny wants me to, you know, clean out this file, and I'll think, oh, reducing the set size is exactly the only way that that kid is able to really answer a question like that or respond appropriately or do anything that you want him to do, but you just have to remove all those distractions. And really mm-hmm. limit um, limit a kid's uh, what they have to pay attention to. Otherwise, it's just too much. And and I think that those are things too that instinctively a lot of therapists do it, but they may not have thought about it as purposefully as um, they should. And so that's a very good point. And we have not talked about that. So I'm so glad that you brought that up and mentioned that. And, again, I think that's something that as a therapist we take for granted and might do it, but without really telling a mom to do that. And so while a mom Parents is don't playing. Parents do know. They just say he yeah. doesn't like the, that, to play like that or he doesn't get it or he's bored. He wants or, to control the whole thing. Yes. So I can't ask him anything like that because he'll get out of control. You know, and a lot of kids do have that kind of, I think kids that are that are inherently aware. Some kids are just more inherently aware that, oh, my gosh, this is hard. I do not want to play like that, you know, because they want to have some kind of control and they want to not do what they don't know. They want to avoid it a little bit. That's just kind of human nature. And it does surprise parents. Yeah. And you think, well, if they can still work on this, and have it be meaningful and have it be something that they will do if we make it a little less, uh, if we make it more fun with less pressure and having fewer choices and having it having it just be, you know, a free-for-all does make some kids so scattered that they can't respond and they can't, right. you know, they look too busy when they're doing or they're that. Or they just get instantly overwhelmed and you've lost them. And right. how much, but even if they have a 50-50 chance of getting the right answer, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. You know, when you're just starting that sort of thing, right. that's all right. right. We'll take it. It kills me sometimes when they still choose the toothbrush to go on the head. But, oh, well, you know, that it does at least give you an opportunity to show them what the toothbrush does, you know, exactly. and, what, and, and how you use it. And some kids get so just enthralled by the humor 
with the, you mm-hmm. know, when you're saying, eat her hat, baby's going to eat her hat. No, no. <laughs> they do think that's fine. But even then, you know that they know, and they're purposefully right. choosing to make you do silly one. You know, uh-huh. and then you can still see their little twinkly eyes and know, oh, gosh, he's making a joke. You know, that, that's cognition. That's, you know, right. moving along and purposely wanting you to be, uh, you know, make the wrong choice. So at least then you kind of know too. So don't get some parents get too kind of uh, upset about that. I was working with a little guy today, and we were he he kept kind of making jokes out of stuff, and his mom wanted him to be serious. And I said, he's two. He's a baby. This is okay. I love that he's with me and he wants to be in my lap and all over me and. You know, even if he's trying to make me do the wrong thing or be silly, that's okay because he's connected with me. He's not running away from me. He's not, you know, not wanting to do it. He's just being silly about it, and that is perfectly okay. But I you always kind of like it when kids are kind of funny too, when they because you can tell they laugh, they giggle, they want to do it again and again and again. And it's like it's okay, it's a joke, you know. Exactly, and it is higher level. Yeah. It is higher level when they're doing that. And when, and that's totally different from a kid trying to take the toothbrush and brush the baby's hair. I mean, that's totally different. And a lot of kids do that. Don't you see a lot of kids mm-hmm. with a oh, mess up yeah. the hairbrush and the toothbrush? Yes. We're not really mm-hmm. talking about that, but we're talking about the kids who are making it a joke and making it intentionally funny and looking at you like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It's hysterical. You know, but you do know. They get it. You know, something's going on in that little brain. They recognize the absurdity of that. And that in and of itself is huge that they're that high-functioning, even if they're, they don't have the, all the words to let you know that they understand that. They've told you, I'm moving along cognitively here. I get that. That's funny. I'm with you. And it is an opportunity, too, to just really work on establishing that connection and letting them know that you're a fun person to be with and that everything doesn't have to be so work-oriented, which sometimes I think parents really expect therapy to not be as playful or as um, silly as we need it to be, especially for a two-year-old. I do, too. And I've had, and I know you have, Laura, plenty of parents who've said, well, you know, the other therapist, this is more work. And I usually kind of say, oh, after time, well, how's that going? Not very well. He doesn't really like it. (laughs) I know. I can't blame him. Because usually the work ends up being really age inappropriate for that particular child. Because usually the work that the parents are referring to is pictures. It's flashcards. It's, you know, some sort of a... And it's not really meaningful to the kids. So they block, they fight it. After 10 minutes, right. maybe five minutes, they're mad and they're running and they're they're done. And I go, oh, okay. I know why. So. Yeah, because it, we're not meeting them where they are developmentally and making it fun enough. And when kids want to move on, I generally just move on. I know you do too, don't you? Yes. I I don't really fight that fight a lot. And so even if it does feel like you've done 20 activities in a therapy session, okay, that's just how it is. And over time, most children do really learn how to settle down and really learn how to stick with something and stay with it. You know, the whole one more turn or one more time, and then you clean up, I think is a better way to extend attention rather than we are going to do this for 20 minutes you know, and it does you not matter. You have to put every miserable. piece in. Yeah. You have to, yeah, and yeah. I, that happens a lot, I think, with some therapists. And what I find, and I know you agree, Laura, when they get more proficient, when it is mm-hmm. easier for them, guess what? Human nature takes hold, and they want to do it longer because then it's more right. reinforcing. It's more fulfilling for them. It's more fun for it's them. Good at it. But when it, yeah. yeah, when a kid struggles to put every darn piece in the puzzle and is randomly trying to shove them in the wrong hole, don't expect <laughs> them to stay with it too long. You yeah. know, and that's okay. Yeah. But the, the, yeah. to me, the important thing is he tried. He got some exposure. Right. Next time, maybe he'll do one more piece.
piece. And those I've exactly. had so many kids who hated puzzles, and six or eight or ten weeks later, he's a puzzle champion. He can do any puzzle you put in front of him because we've exposed him over time. He learned that he could do it. Once he got pretty good at it, he decided puzzles are pretty cool. But in the beginning when they don't get them at all, and some kids do and some kids don't, but right. I've never seen a kid who loves puzzles who couldn't do them pretty well. You know, that's, that's just exactly the nature. Right. Yeah. And you just have to build the skill over time too. But if you had really met if you really make a kid try to do all nine pieces when he's not good at it, when he hates it, then for weeks and weeks and weeks he starts screaming the second he sees the puzzle or starts right. running or starts you know, so it's so much easier to just build it up that way. And I really take that approach with, with almost every toy or every activity. And if I'm re- working with a kid who, again, on something that I know is so hard and they are giving it their best shot and still want to move on, you know, it doesn't really matter what your material is. You can work on the same skill or the same goal with your next toy. And so to me, it doesn't really matter if we're putting up one toy and moving on. I mean, I do want children to build a decent attention span over time, but in my mind, I think, okay, I'm just going to work on this with the next toy. You know, today I saw a little guy who, and I shared this with you earlier, he's two and a half, he's got great language, but we're working on intelligibility stuff with him. And, again, it's kind of, for me, I always feel like that's icing on the cake for a two-year-old to be working on specific sounds because so often we don't get there. And his mom is saying, oh, he, did, he doesn't really want to want to stay with the toy. I said, it's not that. It's that what we're doing is hard. So whatever our goal is, and for this little guy today, we're working on words that uh, initial W words because that's an early developing consonant that he should have and he does not. And he really had very few initial consonants for any word when we started. Um, I think he had an M and a D maybe for mama and dad and maybe a B. But very, he left off lots and lots of initial consonants. And he is doing so much better with most sounds, but W is one that has not come in for working on that. And so, you know, I'm just thinking it does not matter to me if we're playing with the Diego zoo animals with the safari truck. We're still going to work on those words, even if we switch to Thomas, even if we switch to race cars, even if we switch to whatever. My goal stays the same. My targets stay the same. We're just going to switch out toys as often as he needs to do it. And and that's the mark of a good therapist. That really is hard for lots of therapists to learn how to do to kind of think on their feet and think I can work on the same goal regardless and it does take some planning and some um, oh gosh I don't even know what word I'm, you know persistence for you to be able to stay on the same goal activity after activity after activity but we have to train our parents to be able to do that but if we can't show them how to do it you know, they're not going to have much to go on at home. So that was my point about that, is you can move on as often as the kid needs to as long as you know what you're working on and you're able to keep that goal going or that focus going regardless of what your materials are. Does that make sense? It certainly does to me. I mean, we've talked about this in other venues about how we work a lot of the same concepts into mm-hmm. no matter pretty much what we're doing because we want right. that generalization. We want them to know right. that all these words are very functional and apply to pretty much everything a two-year-old does. Yeah, right. I'm not big on got to do this for, you know, I just think that that creates a fight, and it's a fight yeah. that unfortunately a lot of two-year-olds win because, like it or not, we're there for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is, and we're done. And I think some kids figure out, hmm, I could throw a fit for a good 45 minutes to an hour. And yeah. what did you get then? You know, I mean, I Nothing. Just, yeah. Nothing. You you had a power struggle with a two-year-old. So, but I know. Always. It's just I easier really to move Always. Yes. Kids, I think a lot of times in the beginning when you're seeing a kid – you know, you haven't seen them before his first couple sessions. A lot of it is they're very excited to see what, what else you have. This lady came right. with this big bag of toys. Cool. And I get that. Again, that seems yeah. pretty natural to me. I'm okay with that. 
And then, like you said, in this case of your little guy today, and I think this happens a lot, when you're working on something, and pretty much everything we work on is relatively hard for the kids we work with, exactly. or we wouldn't be working with them. We're not taking exactly. the kids who are the shining stars of their preschool program who know everything. You know, we get the kids who are in one way, shape, or form or having some difficulty, even if it's a smart little guy and it's just our tick. That our tick for him was hard. Hard. And I kind of feel feel like, hey, if you're going to sit there and ask him to do something that is difficult for him to do, and I I have no doubt that, you know, it is difficult for him to do, Not, not particularly fun either because it's like, here, do this. You're bad at it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You know, if he could, he'd he probably knows. say, I'm done he's with smart. this. Yeah. He's smart enough to what? know his mom do is saying, he's to do? avoiding. <laughs> yeah. He's avoiding you. Yeah. It's hard. Right. He, d- he knows. And, yeah, he knows. Yeah. And I really feel like, one, I said this earlier, Laura, when we were having our real conversation, I always feel a little guilty because I know I'm asking yeah. him to do something that's hard. But two, that's okay. I can ask him to do it. But my end of the bargain is to follow his lead and to keep it fun, as fun as it possibly can be. And if that means that you do five things instead of three things or six things instead of two things, fine. Right. (laughs) That's okay. Because you kept hammering them. You kept on them. You kept, you know, putting demands on him. But you're at, you know, that was his end of the bargain. He had to try, but you were willing to say, okay, if it's 15 things, it's 15 things. But you're going to still try. Exactly. To me, that's an absolutely reasonable bargain to make with a two-year-old. That's you know, about as and, good and, as Exactly, and that's what I was telling his mom today. I kept saying, don't, don't think for one minute he is not making incredible progress because he is. You know, I want you to celebrate his successes, and if it does look like we're having to work pretty hard to get him to do it, well, so be it. You know, we have to keep making it fun. We have to keep having him watch participate. And I was telling you earlier, I can't believe I'm going to say this on the show, but I'm going to, how I finally got him to really want to stay with me as we broke out the snacks, and he's been pretending he's a puppy dog. And so he had to say, want candy. And get that W and get the the K or the C for candy, and then he could have a Skittle, and then he pretended to eat it out of my hand like a dog. <laughs> I bet he did it. Oh, hilarious! In a row. <laughs> and his mom was like, "Oh my gosh, I cannot believe he's doing it so well now." And she was really like a little stinker. And I was mm-hmm. saying, "No, we finally found what was fun enough. That he thought enough was fun. hysterical yeah. enough." For him to try it, and he was much more successful too because he was more motivated. Now, was right. it you know entirely as high functioning as he can be? No, but he stayed with it, and he thought it was fun. And his mom said, "Well, I guess I'll let him pretend to be a puppy a little bit more now that I can link <laughs> something else to that." Because she has been saying, "Get up, stop! You're not, not a dog. You're a boy." <laughs> Guess what? He gets to be a dog a little while longer. Yeah, and I do feel that way. I mean, to me, it's like that's okay. It yeah. it worked. And a lot of times I'll have moms, again, particularly in the beginning um, of, you know, my time with the child, and they'll say, his, he's not, he's, his attention seems short. And I generally pipe up with, this, what I'm asking him to do, even though it's in the context of play, is hard. Whether it be right. say a word, sign a word, follow commands, whatever it is, these things are not easy things for him. And when you make it hard, don't expect that. He, don't be surprised when he moves on that much faster. I mean, exactly. you know, that's just the way we are. That's the way people are. And guess it's what? They're nature. just small little people. Yes, exactly. It's hard. And especially when they're smart and they know I'm not mm-hmm. doing this correctly. I know mm-hmm. I'm not saying it the right way. And he knows right. that in his in, to the best that any two-and-a-half-year-old would know that. Right. He gets it. 
So anyway, all right, well, I think that wraps up today's show. I love teaching object functions, though, and I hope that that's something, if you're a parent or you're a therapist, that you've not really worked on as purposefully or as frequently as you need to. And again, it's a fun thing to work on for a lot of kids, and you will really begin to see how much language a child is really understanding if they are if if you have had to keep it so simple to get a lot of early word imitations this is where a lot of times we realize oh my goodness there's still a receptive language component um to this child's issues because when they when they're not understanding things like this it, it is a very um telling sign that we need to work on receptive language and that that needs to be a big focus. So hopefully we've given some new ideas and uh, made some therapists think twice about using pictures when they should be using real objects to teach object functions and to always back up to that. If you've been te- if you've tested a child and he's bombed this area but you've been working on it um maybe not it, with play-based activities, I hope that we've given them some uh, new ideas to start on. All right. Okay. Is this the end of this whole series, or we have more? <laughs> Does it ever We're going to finish up. Oh, We're going to on. do one more. Well, really, it could never end. You know what I mean? Because we would just keep talking yeah. about the next milestone and the next milestone. Let's do identifying parts of an object and negation, okay. and then we're going to call it a series. So I think we'll have one more show on this. And then we're going to move on to something else. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.